It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And I'm thrilled that you're tuning in again today. We are continuing in our study of the principles of discipleship. We have been in this study for the past five weeks And it has been a very convicting study, at least for us. I hope it has been for you as well. And as you know, we have spent this time thoroughly going through God's Word, verse by verse, on this very powerful subject. It's a bit daunting, and yet what we're encouraged by is the fact that God has given us the tools to take a step out in faith, step by step, doing as God has instructed us to do, to truly take up our cross and follow Him, that this becomes a lifestyle, but it begins today, one foot in front of the other, and it can feel overwhelming when we go through the magnitude of a study like this, and and, and we can feel like we're just lost. Where do we begin in something like this, truly following Jesus Christ, our Lord. And you know he has given you a great deal of wisdom and insight on this subject. I love having him here in the studio with me. Dr. Steve Ford is back for this sixth program as we continue in our study and wrap it up today on the principles of discipleship. Dr. Ford, always good to have you in the studio. Welcome back, my friend. Thank you, John. It's always great to be here. I'm really excited about two fellow disciples of Jesus Christ as we're talking about discipleship and you know we've been hitting Galatians 2:20 pretty hard mm-hmm. you know I've been it's no longer I've been crucified with Christ it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me and boy right. that's that's really what we're going to be focused on today and uh, two brothers in Christ who have a really great experience in this area both with being the disciples themselves and and discipling others I'm just really excited to hear what they have to say that's right well and without further delay because these are two passionate men, and we we teased about it last week, that we had special guests in the studio today, because that's really what we wanted to do, is set it up over the last few weeks that we need to make a change in our life. Uh, We have called out, perhaps you've You've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've struggled over the past few weeks to say, is he truly Lord over my life? Have I really laid down my pursuit of the treasures of this world to to lay up treasures in heaven, to, to be found faithful in my obedient walk with Jesus Christ today, one day after another, doing as he has called me to do, because I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ at the end of the day. And so I I don't want to take any more passion out of the room, uh, because these men are (laughs) going to lay it on us heavy here today to put all of this to practical application. And what can I do today to start to walk as my Lord walks? So Pastor Duke Crony has been serving in men's ministry for over 10 years, and during that time has honed in on the role of making disciple makers. And this led him to creating a 12-step, six-session disciple maker field training manual to help churches create a culture of discipleship. Pastor Duke, welcome to Engage in Truth. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here, brother. Well, and right alongside you here, a good friend of mine as well, Mr. Bill McLaughlin. He is the director of men's ministry at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church. He is the father of seven Five boys and two girls with 12 grandchildren keep him very busy, and he spent six years in the military, 31 years as a first responder, firefighter, retiring as an assistant chief, and then he spent 12 years with Colorado Springs Rescue Mission. Bill, so good to have you on Engage in Truth. Thank you, John. It's a privilege. 
Well, we have uh, just a number of things to cover here today, and Duke, you shared with me not long ago just something that resonated with my heart, that is you saw men struggling with discipleship, or some, I don't want to take this away from you, you saw that there was a need. There was a clear need in the church, clear need in the community. It seemed to start with men. Can you tell us a little bit about what's what's the problem? I mean, let, let's put our finger on the pulse here. What's the problem when it comes to men and their engagement with the church? There's clearly an issue here. There is. The key word that you just used there, John, is engagement. Mm. There's very little call to action. That is, most of us can recant Matthew 28, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. We've heard it from the pulpit many times. But what does that really mean? It's kind of like the Great Commission is more like the Great Suggestion. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to say probably the, the biggest in engagement is that message being preached without an encouragement to men to actually carry out that commission. Mm. Well, and, and we know that statistically, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, when we're looking at the real story going out there, and pastors sometimes I, I think do have a good understanding of the pulse, maybe not. Uh, when I was part of the Heritage, Heritage Builders Ministry at Focus on the Family, uh, that particular organizational focus was on passing a legacy of faith. And we saw some interesting statistics from uh, Lifeway and various other groups as they really tried to get a handle on this situation, that if women were carrying the load, if they had to be the responsible one in the home of passing that legacy of faith, of truly discipling in the home and being the spiritual leader, statistically, it was quite uh, uh, atrocious, the the result of that. And that's not against women here. Uh, we, we were seeing less than 20% of a response rate within the home of children who were actually making a decision for Christ because this was not the way God designed it to be. That might be a little shocking to folks because mothers can be very passionate about prayer, yeah. passionate about taking their children to the Word, and then struggling why the results weren't there when what we found was that at least 83% of the men, when they would step up in this role, that the whole family was directly impacted, children were saved, the family dynamic was fundamentally changed, I don't want to take it from you. You've seen all this firsthand. What are you seeing out there? Well, the stats are, the newest ones are really 14% of the family follows when it's the wife. 93% if the man follows. So a little bit higher stat that way. But it really boils down to a recent summary of that that I received from Navigators. Mm. Now, we know Navigators, 92-year-old ministry in 100 countries. They're the granddaddies of discipleship, right? Right. Well, they contracted with Barna research than what they called the state of discipleship in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. And I've got the manual and it breaks down those exact questions. What, what does that look like? What's wrong? And really it paints a fairly ugly picture, John, wow. that is a failing picture of discipleship. And when it really got down to the bottom line, the one question that I zeroed in on is the fact that one-on-one discipleship is the most impactful, most effective because guys will build a trust relationship and maybe finally open up. And when asked, the surveyors asked, why aren't more men discipling one-on-one by 84%, the number one answer was they didn't feel equipped. Hmm. Well, there it is. So you put your finger on the pulse that uh, men are struggling with, even if they've been in church for all these years, they feel like they don't have the toolbox to effectively lead at home or the lack of confidence 
perhaps. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, Bill, I know that you've been leading ministry now at Calvary Fellowship. You, you're right there, boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. You meet somebody like Duke, who's got a training manual, a guide for making disciple makers. Mm-hmm. But you've seen it now firsthand as you've been leading men. And I think that when you and I spoke about this, there were a lot of assumptions that we made that men could be in a church for even 20 years. Mm-hmm. And yet when you made it real for them of, of a safe place to just talk about the basics uh, that it was amazing to see how they opened up we made so many assumptions just mm-hmm. just thinking hey they've been there long mm-hmm. enough they know this mm-hmm. they know all about baptism they know all about the work of the holy spirit right mm-hmm. and yet what what have you seen firsthand and just some of the testimonies that have come out of just leading men's ministry and and watching men finally open up and share that you go, wow, they, they've really needed a friend, a, a safe place, right? Right. Uh, speaking out of my own um, background, they would, we would say that we needed to lead our families, that uh, needed to be mm-hmm. the spiritual head of the house. And, and the question that would run through my head is, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. You, know, I'm, you know, I'm just going to read a uh, passage out of Scripture, and then now what? And so that was never answered. Uh, because there wasn't any um, mentorship as far as me as a husband, as a man, mm. uh, to be able to do something like that. And so what we're seeing within the church now with the program we have, we have upwards of 23 men that gather once a week from 9 to 11 on a Thursday. And they're asking questions in that uh, under that kind of a venue that they haven't been able to answer for. Uh, asked before and here i am and you're there and so uh now that's building the trust that duke is talking about and uh it's really important that you do that because men are islands they they don't want to tell folks what's going on in their families they're not going to lay it out there that they're struggling with their wife or their children or their job or the various things they could do because they don't want to appear weak and duke and i talked about that before the show yeah. And uh, so it's really important that you build the relationship that allows them to lay everything out and say, I got a problem. <laughs> I think it, is it, it's probably fair to say, as being a male myself, uh, I don't <laughs> like not knowing the answer to something. Mm. So if I don't know, and I, maybe I'm just speaking up for myself, and I hope there's probably some nodding heads out there somewhere where there's a, there's a gentleman going, yeah, I, I get that, that, you know, we just don't want to be embarrassed. It's a pride issue. Uh, you know, we don't want to be the guy who doesn't know how to pick up a wrench and fix something or as a fixer nature, mm-hmm. uh, I, I want to be equipped with how to fix something in my child's life, in my, in my wife's, uh, you know, navigating maybe some strong emotion. Mm-hmm. How do I take her to the word? And so often we're, we're not a memorizing culture, perhaps like we used to be. I remember my grandfather, he could just throw out verses one after another. It was like just this Rolodex of, you know, it wasn't just John 3.16. I mean, he, he could go back and forth. He knew the scripture. And I saw how he led his home like that. And maybe it was, I was a little intimidated at first because, you know, how do I get to that level? That looks like a lot of work and a lot of commitment, and that can feel daunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then sometimes you just kind of throw in the towel early and you just, uh, well, I'll pay the bills, you know, I'll keep the wife happy. That'll make everything, you know, that'll solve all the crises of the day and not really getting to know my savior mm-hmm. and spending time in the word like that. And so we took a lot of material, even at focus on the family. And we would try to it coming from a broken home, 
without a father figure in the home. Uh, now the cycle had had come to me, the domino effect of broken home after broken home, multiple divorces. I didn't have a relationship with a father figure. So I've got all these books and really no scope and sequence, no idea what to do. Didn't really even understand the idea of discipleship. It was, okay, I go to church, I sit in the pew, listen to this pastor, shake a few hands, and I leave. But there really was nothing more. I had to figure these things out or invest in seminary to figure this out. And so, you know, when Duke, you've come along here and you, you say, I can help you. I can help you. I've got some solutions here. And you wrote this document you provided me about bold moves. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because this is a bold move for men. Well, the bold move really uh, encompasses the courage that it takes. We, as men, are born to be fixers. Mm-hmm. And like oftentimes when we're having a conversation with our wife, we try and fix stuff and they just want <laughs> us to be good listeners, right? Mm-hmm. right? But here's what I find is there's a solvable paradox in that proposition in the church and men. That is, we do really want to know. We do want to know how to do this thing, how to glorify our God that Scripture calls us to, mm. how to be purposeful. Like often they'll say on your headstone, there's something between the day you were born and the day you go home to Jesus, and there's this dash. So what defines your dash? Mm. And I find as difficult as it is, every man that I have so been, I, I guess, privileged to equip, as I was equipped, uh, it's kind of like this revelation. They now understand that they don't have to apologize for putting God first in their life, and they know how to do it now. I mean, we hear the messages plenty throughout our lives, especially if we're seeking God's face. It'll be revealed, but it seems to be confusing how to put it in some kind of an order. So when I talk about a a bold move or share something like that, it really is because it takes intentionality. You can't lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. (laughs) <laughs> there's you have to participate in some way right. and it's spooky because to your point we don't want to show weakness we don't want to show the guys around us that we really don't know how to do something i mean we don't even ask for directions right <laughs> that <laughs> that of, seems to be by god's design right? <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah. that that defines that i hope yeah and, yeah and you and i were talking even before the program that there does seem to be more awareness of a need for discipleship or, or at least that terminology is there maybe a little more front and center than it used to be uh, but we we don't have really a, a skin on these bones there might be a skeletal structure somewhere around us maybe at our local church we've thrown that terminology out a time or two it becomes a little bit of christianese and, and we know, I think, in the back of our mind that if I truly want to be good at something, I need to invest some time. If I want to be good at any sport, any hobby, it's going to take time. And I think there has to be a tangible takeaway, though, to understand that if I truly pursue Jesus Christ, everything in my life will be changed for the better if I'm willing yes. to invest the energy and effort to do it. But then we find that if they invest a little bit of time— it's not as all-encompassing to really learn how to do this and as intimidating as we may make it out to be. You seem to have really simplified this process for both the educator as well as the student to receive these tools. Can you just tell us a little bit more about it? Because I, I want you to spend a little more time talking about this these 12 steps and how you've broken it down into a six-week program and that's, you know, I don't want it to be a cliche that this is your out-of-the-box six-week program. This is not really like anything else, uh, because you're really discipling disciple-makers. 
And that's that's a key takeaway here because I think churches, especially maybe the smaller church, and we've got 641 churches in Colorado Springs. Many of them are under 100 people. And you come down to somebody like myself, a senior pastor who's carrying the load for the entirety of the church. I've even seen senior pastors who are leading the worship as well as writing the sermons, going back to the administrative side and just trying to find the tools they need to truly disciple men, even though the women are doing a fine job. But in this area, we're we're the weakest, it seems. We need the greatest help, and you've tried to really come alongside churches of all sizes to do that. I have, and it really boils down to, you know, all of our decisions, one famous psychologist once said, are self-serving. Okay? And then you look at James 122 that defines that, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So it really goes to priority. And so as I looked at that picture, and in my own life, I thought, what was it that energized me to want to know. I met with my senior pastor at one time, and I said, so how do you do this thing? Hmm. And he goes, well, what, what do you mean? I said, well, how do you be a Christ follower? Where, where's the instructions? Now, I know it's all in the scriptures, but mm-hmm. is there some place I can go that somehow simplifies it, right. the, the foundations? And he said to me, he says, oh, he says, oh, that's easy. He said, who's discipling you? And therein began my journey but as I was being discipled, I wanted it to be, I don't know, the gray area, less, I don't know, I just didn't want to have to go through a three-year program to learn what I thought could be foundational. And so that spawned this, how I was mentored. And to answer your question, the four foundations that that I I've, I say I've come up with, but it's been a collective effort, mm. make no mistake, that's Proverbs fifteen twenty two. you know, the counsel of many, your right. plans will succeed. So I reached out the guys to validate what I was doing was that not being done elsewhere mm-hmm. and really it came down to the start of it all as as Jesus was was asked what's the greatest commandment of all what's the love of the Lord your God with all your heart soul mind and strength and the second is like the first kind of deal and I thought well how do you do that mm-hmm. and I learned through mentorship how that was a relationship building proposition the second of the four foundations really went to the veracity of the Bible did I really believe the Bible is true written over a 1,500-year period by 40 authors, three different continents in three different languages, and then we, what we pick up today, really? Can I really trust that? Right. So my mentors put me on a course path to determine that it is the infallible Word of God. Okay. Mm. Then the third was the Holy Spirit. I find that so many guys will wrestle with the alligator until their arms get tired, <laughs> and they give in because they don't understand that the Holy Spirit is the power that lives within them to allow them to accomplish that. And what did Jesus say to his disciples? I'm going away, and it's an advantage that I go away? Really? Mm. You'll do greater things than I? That definition of the Holy Spirit, I didn't fully embrace. And the fourth of the foundations was the reality of spiritual warfare. That is, I didn't take Satan seriously. He prowls around, right, to devour. He's disguised as the angel of light. And the tolerance we see in our culture today feeds that. So we really don't take Satan all that seriously, but when we look at anything that is doesn't align with what God's will is for us, it's Satan. It's mm-hmm. that evil. So in the six weeks, the first four teach the foundations biblically. Where does God's word define this for us? And then how do we engage the Holy Spirit? How do we claim victory? And how when the temptations we know will never stop you know, coming, how do we deal with that on a regular spiritual uh, war type foundation and basis? And then the last two of the six really addresses 
how do you apply those four foundations in whatever's going on in your life? And it's not always sin, John. Sometimes it's uh, learning how to evangelize a family member, right? How to deal with that relationship at work. So not always directly sin, but I'm going to say we could make that definition in many ways, and sin separates us from God. And then the last of the six classes is, how do you go share this with another? Have I equipped you? As Second Timothy 2.2 mm. says, here's Paul writing his last letter, and what is he doing? He's passing a baton. He's not just telling Timothy to hold steadfast and grow his church that way. He's saying, no, you're supposed to pass this on in the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, enable others to also, is the key word there, also to, to teach others to do the same. So that's really the foundation of the the training class is to bring those foundational knowledges into play and actually have them work. And then when you see it manifest, that gives you all the confidence to go forward from there. Yeah. So I'd like to add that um, things that the men struggle with is not only the knowledge of the discipleship, but also recognizing that the, the church is not just for the women and the children, that the men that are engaged in church are not somehow kind of weak and needy but are actually, uh, there are some real men. Um, anybody that understands what the Christian life is like, where we're actually living it out, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. It takes men, it takes hairy men to be able to, to be able to do that kind of thing. And the only way that you're going to reach the men is through kind of like a one-on-one program like what um, uh, Duke has here. Yeah. It, and you build that relationship so that they can see that the men that are there are not some Casper milk toasts, you know, that they are, um, <laughs> that there are some real men. So. And, and you think that's probably why we've seen such a struggle for men to engage? I mean, you're right. It seems that when women come in, they immediately connect, maybe not for all. I, you know, I don't want to generalize everybody here. But it seems like in churches, the largest gathering of folks is the women. The children's ministry is growing and thriving, and it's generally the women who are engaged in that role as well. In fact, churches seem to be held up often by the successes of these women's programs and their engagements. And yet I find that when you go back to the early church, it it seems that we're missing a big piece of this, of training the men, training the trainers. I mean, Duke, that seems to be the emphasis here, that we're training the trainers to pass the baton, to instill a legacy of faith, do what Deuteronomy 6 tells us, that we talk about these things as we walk along the road, as we lie down, as we get up, that we're proud to have a family that is right on the plumb line, that God has said that this is the thing that keeps us awake at night, seeking his blessing over our children as they fought for the unseen reality of a father's blessing. And where is some of that gone? Well, in the foundation of what I teach is the responsibility to be a disciple maker, right? Yeah. And the one-on-one is the wisdom in it. Because guys, to your point, and what Bill's saying, we don't easily give up our weaknesses, But I find that in a one-on-one, you build a trust relationship, and it may take a little while, but when that guy knows that he can reveal to you whatever his challenge is and know that it's not going to get around, then they will reveal it. And Scripture calls us to do that very thing so we can receive the camaraderie of brothership and lift one another up. And, and you know, we want to be victorious. So the beauty in what I've lived out is, is I've seen story after story repeat itself that, yes, I, I feel like I can now conquer this. Yes, I feel like I can 
walk with my head high and my shoulders back. And, and that's not how most men are, but the one-on-one discipleship seems to overcome that and achieve that. Amen. Well, and I think that if anything we've left our listener with today is that they can be intentional. It starts today. Boots on the ground, right? This is where Amen. the rubber meets the road of our faith, that we can talk about it, we can read the scriptures, but it is time. It starts today putting this to practical application, growing in knowledge and understanding of the Word, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And and Bill, you're doing that. Duke, you're doing that. We praise God for what you're doing on the front lines. And and so I'd like to encourage you, our listener, to reach out to Bill McLaughlin, and you can find him at Calvary Fountain, uh, which is Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church, calvaryfountain.com. And Bill will reach right back out to you if you want to engage in men's ministry there. And Duke, your curriculum is just fantastic, and how you're helping churches all across this state and beyond, uh, this is a tool that all churches need. And I want to encourage you, if you want to come alongside your pastor, often they just need a champion. Somebody says, here, I'm, I'm going to run this. I can do this. And now I've got the tools to do it. So you can talk with Duke directly. You can reach out to his wonderful ministry. You can be found at personalhorsepower.com, personalhorsepower.com. And there you find all the tools that you need and the instruction to use those tools. So this can be done today. We want to thank you for listening to Engage in Truth. Again, if you have any questions about what you've heard over the past six weeks, you can learn more at calvaryfountain.com. Services are 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. on Sundays. We'd love to see you there. God bless you, my friends. Take care.